Have a seat, everybody. Thank you so much, Salah, for that brilliant communion. Such an awesome thing to take communion and just remember the power that is in the blood. So much power. Well, how are you all doing this morning? It is good to be with you. And you might be wondering where Pastor Tark is. Well, let me um, tell you where he is. He is in the UK at the moment. Pastor Steve and him have both uh, flown there to do the groundwork for our next conference, UK and beyond, um, and they've got a bunch of meetings planned with key leaders and pastors all across the UK and um, speaking in a number of a couple of different churches. So this Sunday today, they're a few hours behind us, but they're going to be Dad's going to be speaking at um, Tim Hughes' church, and Tim Hughes, I believe, is a very famous uh, writer of songs, and I think he wrote, maybe Here I Am to Worship, I'm not 100% sure, but he wrote a number of really key songs. So it's a great opportunity to uh, speak into that church and congregation with our message, with our DNA. So if you remember over the next week, just pray for him, pray for favor, for impact, for anointing and connections as they build up to UK and beyond, and then we'll all be going back there in September for the actual conference. So that's where he is. And I just want to encourage you again, you've already heard it, but tonight, I'm so expectant for tonight. I've been talking to the kids about getting prayed for and just building into them. I said to them, you know, when you get prayed, expect to feel something of God on your life. And so I encourage you, if you have got kids, bring them out tonight. It's a great opportunity just to get more of God into them, to lay hands on them and believe God to activate their spirit. If you know kids that you can bring along, it's also a great opportunity to invite because we've got the bouncy castles and free dinner for them. So bring the family, come along. We're going to be out of there by seven o'clock. And if you don't have kids, then I want to encourage you to come and support us anyway, because we are really believing for a kid's army to really rise up and to take our city and our country by storm. And I believe that God is raising them up. So come along and join us for tonight. It's going to be, it's going to be a really good night. Well, do you remember those times, hopefully a long time ago, where, uh, you know, you had to lie to get out of something, you know, you had to lie to cover something up. We've all done it, right? And you know those times when you lie, and then one lie leads to another lie, and then another lie, and another lie, and like before you know it, you're in this web of lies, and it gets really tricky to keep your story straight, because you can't quite remember what that first lie was, and it just, sometimes it just all comes crashing down, doesn't it? And I don't know about you, but I've been in that situation a couple of times. And I just end up having to confess because I, I can't keep it all straight and it all gets too much. The story falls apart, I fall apart, and I have to confess the truth. But you know, the funny thing with kids is that when they are really little, you can spot their lies a mile away. Like when you say, have you been eating chocolate? And they're like, no, mom, I haven't. But there's chocolate all over their face and all over their top, and you're like, mm-hmm. Um, or when, sometimes when Emma wants to play you know, she takes the cards and she's like, right, I'm going to go and deal. And across she goes to the other side of the room to deal the cards. And she comes back with two piles. And I say to her, Emma, have you rigged this game? Have you been fiddling with the cards? No, mum, you know, with a straight face. But what do you know? Her hand is full of draw fours, draw twos, skips, reverse, and wild cards. Mine's just numbers. Who wins? 
not me. <laughs> it's become a bit of a joke with her, actually. But, you know, um, as we get older and as our kids get older, they get better at the art of lying. And it becomes harder and harder to figure out, are they lying or aren't they? We have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit so we can, you know, figure out when they are or not. And, and then as adults, we can continue to lie as well. Sometimes we lie to ourselves or we lie to others. And we can lie to ourselves about... Um, you know, we justify things, don't we? We say, well, you know, what I'm doing is fine. It's fine. It's okay. Or we might lie to other people. They ask us, how are you doing? Oh, fine. All good. Everything's great. But it's not good. And we actually need to talk to someone about it. Or we lie to ourselves and others about maybe some of our habits or about our relationships, procrastination, even sometimes our beliefs. There are so many different things that can get twisted and we fall into this trap of lying. But even though we've all lied in various ways, the pursuit of truth is woven deep within each one of us because each one of us is created for truth. What is truth anyway? Well, it turns out truth is surprisingly difficult to actually define, but this is what the dictionary says. It says we can define truth as a statement about the way the world actually is. It is that which is true in accordance with fact or reality, or it's a fact or belief that's accepted as true. So it's kind of complicated, but that's what truth is according to the dictionary. I like this comic about two seekers of truth. One says, how do I get to the other side? I'll wait for it to come up. It's coming up very soon. Yeah, there you go. Um, how do I get to the other side? The reply, you are on the other side. <laughs> this morning, I want to look at um, this whole topic of truth, what and who truth is. And it's actually been something that's been sitting with me for about a year now. About a year ago, I came across a book by Lisa Bevere, and it's called Adamant. And it really um, stirred me. She talks about being adamant in our faith adamant in our beliefs, adamant in our speech, being, I am adamant, being adamant in how we live our life. And um, so this morning, I want to have a look at that. But before we do, would you just pray with me? Lord, I just thank you that you are in this place. I thank you, God, that we can come together and learn more about you. And I pray, Lord, this morning that it is not my words that speak because they're just a few simple words, but, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us. Lord, that you would stir us afresh, that we would see another side of you, that we would be challenged to get closer and go deeper with you. So be with us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as a minute ago, I said that we are created for truth. Why? Because we are created by truth. You see, truth is not a what. Truth is a who. And I love that. Truth is a who. So often we get caught up in, in what's the truth and what's not the truth and all the details. But we've got to remember, truth is a who, and that who is Jesus. Amen. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And one commentary has an expansion on the word truth to be true reality. Jesus is our true reality. 
Now, this is such a relief to me because I am not an intellect and I find it really hard if I need to present a, a very clear and concise case with proof and evidence and facts to back up things, then that just scares me, to be honest. And, you know, I'm one of those people that go into a room, into a meeting, and I've got a point that I want to get across and I've thought about it, but I come out of that meeting feeling really confused because the other person made a great point and I'm not quite sure what I went in for in the first place. <laughs> You know when you hear one side of the coin and it sounds really good, and then you hear the other side and you think, yeah, yeah, that sounds really good too, and it's like, what is the truth in all of this? So it is great to know that Jesus is the truth, and we don't have to, we don't have to necessarily debate with people and prove anything. What we need to do is just point them to the truth, point them to Jesus. And you know, I believe that one of the greatest and most compelling ways that we can point people to Jesus is by showing them a life that has been transformed, a life that has been changed. And hopefully each one of us have that testimony about our own lives. But I don't know about you, but if you were here two uh, weeks ago on a Sunday night, we had a water baptism service and um, all across the stage were people that had been saved recently and their lives had been transformed and changed. Many of them had um, trouble with stress and that had been gone. They'd been set free from that. Some of them struggled with control and that had been taken away. Others struggled to sleep or their family life was an issue, but God had come in and he had changed things. He had changed circumstances. He changed their relationship with their family and their kids. There was one lady that had been totally set free from drugs and alcohol. Totally set free. Only God. That's right. Only God can do that. God is a life-changing God, and he is truth. Truth is a who, not a what. Listen to this. We can tell truth, we can live truth, we can love truth, we can hate truth, we can deny truth, we can believe truth, but only Christ can claim to be the truth. Buddha had many true sayings, but he didn't claim to be the truth. Buddha acknowledged that he was a man in pursuit of truth. Likewise, Muhammad said many things that were true, but he didn't claim to be the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the truth. Amen. So good. Jesus is our truth, and the Bible is our reference point. Yeah. So to know the truth, we need to know this book. Yeah. We need to anchor our lives on what is said in this book. And everything that we hear, everything that we take in, needs to line up and be weighed against what is written in the book. And I want to give you a couple of verses on that. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to my path. And if you think about this verse, you know, if we are walking along a dark path and there's no light, chances are we're gonna trip over something, we're gonna fall, or we're gonna veer in the wrong direction. But God is saying, you know, it's like having a light when you're walking in the darkness. You can see what's ahead of you. It stops you from stumbling. It stops you from tripping up or tripping over. And it keeps you going in the right direction. That's what God's word is for each one of us. Step by step with this book, it guides our steps. And then it's also a lamp to show us where we're going. You know, when you're driving on an open road and it's dark and you put on your high beam lights and you can see ahead of you, that's kind of like what the Word of God does for us. It gives us a glimpse of what's ahead, of where we're going, of the eternity that we have, all from this book. 
Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Proverbs 35, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And John 1, 1 and 2, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He yes. was in the beginning with God. You know what? We, we need to get a revelation about this book. That everything in this book is true. 100%, every single word, it is, and it is applicable. The Old Testament and the New Testament alike. Often we want to write it off. We want to say, you know what, it was for back in those days, and we don't you know, have to wear our hair long, and there are things that we don't have to do. But every single word yes. in this book is still alive, is still applicable, is still accurate, is still relevant for each of our lives. You know what, it doesn't shift and change with society or culture or trends. It doesn't lack relevance and it is applicable and it is perfect. And the other thing is, we don't get to just pick and choose the bits that we like. We gotta take all of the book, cover to cover, every single part of it. There are parts that we may not understand and the letter of what is said in the Old Testament may look different in its application in the New Testament, but the spirit of the words yeah. remain the same. Yes. You know, I don't understand every word of this book. I don't understand every verse, far from it. But I do trust that every word is accurate, and I do trust that everything I need is found in this book, and every standard that I'm going to live by is from this book. And am I going to obey every word? I'm not, because I'm not perfect, but I'm going to keep on trying to obey every word. I'm going to keep on asking God, God, show me, show me from this book. Show me more about myself. Show me more about who God is, because this is the essence of our Christian walk. It is the absolute, solid, and firm foundation that we can build our lives on. But you know what? We need to get a revelation of it because it's easy to know it in our heads. We know that the Bible is the basis of our faith. We know that it is the living Word of God. We know that He has written it and that He is talking through it. We know it in our heads. But to live it, to really live it, like that we go to this book before anything else, you know, that this is what we base our decisions on, that this is the absolute lifeline and direction we are taking, that we open it every day, that we don't just bring it on a Sunday or look at it a couple of times during the week. Every day we are in this book. And um, I'm not perfect and I'm still on a journey as well, but I really believe that it is time we know the Word of God. We've got to know the Word of God because if we don't, our faith is a little bit weak. Yeah. You know, we need to be strong. Yeah. We need to be able to stand up and stand out. It's really hard to do that if we don't know this book. We don't have to know every word, but we do need to be in the book, learning about it, reading it, living by it. And I reckon if we can move towards that, it would really change our relationship with God. 
Actually, just this week, I was um, listening to Soul Food. I was listening about King Josiah. And King Josiah, he set out to do some repairs of the temple. And then um, during that time, one of the priests found the law of the Lord. And they took it to the king, and the king read it. And he was absolutely gripped by it. And he took the word, and he read it to all the people of the land. And then he set about putting it in action. He made changes. He tore down the the places of worship that were idolatry, and the poles, and the uh, altars, and all sorts of things. He made all these changes in the land. And in 2 Kings 23, 25, this is what God says about King Josiah. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. I love that. That is so inspiring. Here's a king that found the law, that just soaked it in and made massive changes all across his land. And because of that, he's praised in Scripture. You know, we call this book the Holy Bible, which is kind of funny because you probably won't find a book that's got more violence and gore and incest and rape and murder and jealousy and greed in it. I mean, this book has got everything in it. So why do we call it the Holy Bible? We call it the Holy Bible because it is true. You know, and even I love that we read about our heroes, Abraham, Moses, David, Samson, Gideon, Elisha, you know, the disciples and apostles, and we don't just read about their highlights and their wins. We read about their high points and their low points, their strengths and their weaknesses. They were humans. They were messed up. They had messed up families. They struggled with addictions. We get the whole picture when it comes to God's word because the Bible tells the truth and the Bible is the truth. You know, there's so much stuff online that you can listen to nowadays. You can listen to the best messages in the world, and it's great. And there's, if there's a question that you have, you need an answer, what do we do? We go to Dr. Google, and we type it in, and we get our information, and we look at it. We're all guilty. And it's great. It's great to have that resource. But the danger of it is that a lot of things we hear can sound good, can feel good, but if they don't line up with this book... They don't line up with this book. They're not true. We have to be really careful. We really do. Because a lot of things do sound really similar. But we've got to know this book so that things line up before we take it all in. Culture will try and convince us that there are no absolute truths. They say it's complicated. That truth depends on context or a person's individual situation. Moral relativism is the religion of the day. Relativism is the belief that different things are true or right for different people or at different times. But you know what? Under this definition, truth would vary constantly. Truth can't vary. For something to be true, it must be true at all times. All times. Truth transforms us, but relativism conforms us. But honestly, it is huge. It is huge. If you just think about life and you think about things, relativism is everywhere. We have to really guard against that. You know, I think we so often we take this book and we, we make it really complicated. We think, well, you know, it doesn't apply anymore. This doesn't make sense. And, and we want to complicate everything. And we want to um, fit the scripture into our lives. But actually, we need to fit our lives into the book, into scripture. And as we do that, you know what? It's not that complicated. 
It's not actually a bunch of shades of grey. Most of all, it's fairly straightforward. Do I understand it all? No. I mean, there are things that I really don't, and you know, that's where you need people around you that you can talk about and um, discuss it, study it, learn about it. And Holy Spirit guides us. He is there to help us, and He will teach us. Um, but we do need to be in the book. We've got to be reading it every day. And I want to encourage you, if you find it hard to open, then why don't you listen to it? Listening is a great tool. You can listen on your phone, on um, Uversion, or on the Word for Today app, and listen in your car as you're driving. Listen at home as you're just doing things. As long as you can take it in, listening is fine. I know that Pastor Don from our Whangarei campus often will listen to a whole book of the Bible on his drive down to Auckland, and I think that's a great perspective to get. So listen, read, whatever you do, but we've got to be in this book. We've got to start to get to know it. There's been research done in America by George Barner, no relative of mine or dad's, and he released statistics a while ago that only 35% of Americans believe in moral absolutes. In other words, 65% of Americans believe that what you feel is right, that there are no absolute boundaries or laws of morality by which we should live by, and my guess is New Zealand's probably not that much different. And that's a pretty scary world to live in. It is absolutely possible, slowly but surely, to be led away from what God's Word says about the hot topics of today. And if we want to stand for our beliefs, especially when it's not easily, uh, not easy or politically, politically correct to do so, then we do need to have a firm grasp on what this book says. At the same time, we need to overflow with the love of God. You know that never-ending, overwhelming, undeserving love that God has for every individual. You see, our standards must be high, but our grace must be deep. And the higher our standards, the deeper our grace, because what we want people to experience when we share with them is not a high standard, although they will see that, but the love of God. The love of God needs to ooze out of us everywhere we go, and that's how people know. You know, John 13, 13, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love and truth must go hand in hand. In his book, The Daniel Dilemma, Chris Hodges says this, and it kind of sums up what I've just said. It says, amid so many negative, destructive factors at work in our culture, we offer the good news of the gospel and have the privilege of bringing light and life to everyone around us. The way we do this without being swallowed up by the cultural forces is by anchoring ourselves to a worldview based on God's word. He goes on to say, you may be a believer and be on your way to heaven, yet still not have a Christian worldview because you got it from the world and not the word. And when I read that, I was really impacted. What is our worldview? Is it based on the word or is it based on the world? We need to get our worldviews from a correct word view. And again, it doesn't mean we have to know this inside out, but we've got to be in the book. We've got to be reading it. We've got to be continually learning about God. And it is the only way to get a correct worldview. And it will lead us closer to God. It gives us the absolute foundations that are going to ground us and hold us steady in a crazy, ever-changing and challenging society. Well, this message is a little bit on the heavier side. So on a lighter note, I want to give you a couple of interpretations of the scriptures that kids have come up with, which are a little bit of a laugh. Some of them are going to come on the screen for you. So this is what kids think that the Bible means. Solomon, one of David's sons, had 300 wives and 700 porcupines. Quite a collection. 
The seventh commandment is thou shalt not admit adultery. <laughs> the greatest miracle in the Bible is when Joshua told his son to stand still and he obeyed. That is a miracle. This is the golden rule. It says do unto others before they do unto you. And then there's this one. This is so cute. A little boy was asked to write a paper, a book report on the entire Bible. So this is some of what he wrote. The children's Bible in a nutshell. In the beginning, which occurred near the start, there was nothing but God, darkness, and some gas. The Bible says the Lord thy God is one, but I think he must be a lot older than that. Anyway, God said, give me a light, and someone did, and then God made the world. After the Old Testament came the New Testament. Jesus is a star of the New Testament. He was born in Bethlehem in a barn. During his life, Jesus had many arguments with sinners like the Pharisees and the Republicans. <laughs> Jesus also had 12 opossums. The worst one was Judas Asparagus. <laughs> Judas was so evil, they named a terrible vegetable after him. Jesus was a great man. He healed many leopards. And he preached even to some Germans on the mount. <laughs> but the Republicans and all those guys put Jesus on trial before Pontius the Pilate. Pilate didn't stick up for Jesus. He just washed his hands instead. Anyway, Jesus died for our sins, then came back to life again. He went up to heaven, but he will be back at the end of the aluminium. <laughs> his return is foretold. <laughs> so cute. His return is foretold in the book of Revolution. <laughs> How's that for a word worldview? I love it. I love it. So where are we so far? Truth is a big concept, one that people struggle to really understand. Relativism is the religion of the day, and we are constantly battling against a culture that says if it feels right, then it is right. But remember, truth is never relative. If we're not careful with truth, it'll become a casualty in our current culture. Truth is not a what, it is a who, and that who is Jesus. And the Bible is the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was with God. God and the Word are one. Jesus is the Bible, and it's 100% true. So what do we need to do with all this information? Well, I don't want it to be a message that you go away and feel really condemned about because I'm on a journey with this as much as any of you are. And what I want it to be is something that hopefully inspires you about the importance of this book and challenges all of us to get into it more and more. And so I want to leave us with three actions that I think we can take to be people that pursue the truth. The first thing is to have convictions. When you have a conviction, you're certain of something. And most of us, we've had the conviction that Jesus is the answer, that the, he is the way and um, the truth and the life, and that's our starting point. And then we move to convictions about what's right and wrong, about how we should live and act and how we should bring our kids up and so on. And I like what Lisa Bevere says in her book, Adamant. She says this, we live in a day where there are more opinions than convictions. Opinions pull and push at us while convictions ground us. Don't allow opinions to uproot your convictions. That is so true. Convictions ground us. They anchor us, especially when the storms of life hit or temptation tries to knock us out. The convictions are the things that are going to ground us. So it's really important that we have convictions based on what's written in this book. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13 in the Message Bible says, Keep your eyes open. Hold tight to your convictions. Give it all you've got. Be resolute. I like that word, resolute. Let's make sure that we have absolute, certain, and definite convictions about the things that really matter. Yes. 
You know, we need to have a conviction that Jesus is the only way, that this Bible is 100% true, every word. We need to have a conviction about getting to church regularly, about the words that come out of our mouth, about the way we live our lives, the way we bring our kids up, different things that we're going to do. We need to have a conviction about justice and about love. Let's be people of conviction. Daniel was a guy of conviction. And I spoke about this at Limitless Youth a couple of weeks ago. And he had that conviction in his heart that he was going to live by the laws of God, even though he was exiled to Babylon, which was a city with a whole different culture and a whole different way of life, a whole different structure and rules. But he was determined that he wasn't going to go by their rules and their culture. He was going to stick by the word that God had spoken to him. And he made two key decisions because convictions lead to decisions. Um, convictions require us to decide what's right ahead of time. They're not based on what feels good or seems right in the moment, but instead they're these foundations that are unmovable that we build our life on. And so Daniel had this conviction, and out of this conviction he made a couple of decisions. The first one was he wasn't going to eat anything that defiled him before his God. And the second one was that no matter what, he was going to pray three times a day to God in, in open view, in plain sight. And so when the tests came, and they came, he passed both those tests with flying colors. He didn't eat the king's food when he was called into the king's court. And he didn't stop praying when the law was issued that anyone who prayed to anyone other than the king would be killed. And then he went on to become part of a supernatural miracle where he was thrown into the lion's den but lived to tell the tale. And um, he became part of that whole nation, then worshiping the one true God in heaven. And his whole time in Babylon, he had incredible power and influence across the nation. But he had made those decisions early on. In fact, it says in one verse that he had decided to pray three times a day in his early life. And so because the decisions were already made, he was able to stick to those decisions when the crunch came. You know, life is all about decisions. Every day we choose. Are we going to give up? Are we going to give in? Are we going to give it our all? And the thing is, when we make our decisions now, we make our decisions ahead of time, it actually makes our life easier. It takes the stress out of things. You know, when I was about 13, and, or maybe even earlier, you know, I started to get a bit interested in boys, and I made a decision real early on that I wasn't going to go out or date with anyone that didn't believe in God. I was like, no, that's what I'm going to do. So um, when, you know, as I got older and as I got more interested and that time came, I didn't have a battle with this. In fairness, they weren't lining up. But um, (laughs) if they were, if they were, I would have said, no, thank you, because I had already decided I wasn't going there. So I didn't even look. I didn't even go to um, places where I thought I'm going to meet someone and, you know, they don't believe in God. It was, it was through church and it was through Christian circles. And because that was, decision was made, it just wasn't a battle. It wasn't an issue. And if we can make those decisions now, we save ourselves a lot of stress and a lot of hassle and we're going to do the right thing. I made a number of decisions that shaped my life because the decisions we make determine the life that we live. Joshua 24, 15, one of my favorite verses says, Choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Love that verse. You know, the greatest decision, of course, that we can ever make is to choose to follow God, to live for Him, to give Him all that we've got. 
Finally, the last thing, so be people of conviction, make some decisions. The last thing I believe that can help us to live a life that pursues truth is to find people that are on the same journey. You know, I didn't know that Sam was going to read that verse from Soul Food this morning, but if we walk with the wise, we become wise. Who we walk with does influence us. And sometimes I wonder, you know, how much of a factor was it for Daniel that when he said no to the king's food, he had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying no at the same time. How much of a factor was it for Shadrach Meshach and Abednego, that they all had each other when they decided, no, we're not going to bow down to the golden image and we won't serve your God. How much of a factor was it for David in fulfilling his destiny that he had Jonathan to walk with him and to encourage him and to be on that same journey? You know, the disciples, there was 12 of them. And even in the New Testament, it says they were sent out two by two. You know, it's not always possible, but I do think where we can, if we can walk with someone on the same journey, catch their fire, they catch ours, We're going to go further. It is easier. And hey, if you need to get in a small group with people like that, get in a small group. Find people that can do life with you and journey together because it is easier to stand if there are others standing with you. You know, Jesus is absolutely all he says he is or he is absolutely none of it. It's impossible for him to be both, but I believe he's all that he says he is. And if the musos could come, that'd be great. You know, I loved last week's message. It was on the mystery of prayer. And um, the thing with the Christian walk and with all that I've said is there are always elements of mystery. There are always scriptures we don't understand, things that happen that we can't understand why, prayers that we think should be answered that maybe weren't answered, things that can't be explained by logic and reason. That's why it's called faith. That's why we have the Christian faith. We have to be able to live with mystery. And we may never understand this side of eternity, but one day on the other side, it will all make sense and we will be able to say, God, you are so good. But in the meantime, we need to be able to have absolute faith and conviction in God and in his word that he is good all the time that this book is 100% true and that prayer still works. And I want to encourage you, if you didn't hear that message last week, make sure you listen to it online. But you know, I am stirred up about pursuing truth. I don't want to play church and I don't want to get swept away by culture and by what other people do. I want to live a life that is based on this book, that is based on what God says. And I want to go in that direction. And that's when Christianity really begins to work for us. You know, it's what we were designed to do, but it's not easy. It does take discipline to read this book every day. Sometimes it does take sacrifice. Sometimes it does say no, um, take us to say no to certain things and yes to others, to have convictions, to make decisions, and to walk with the right people. But I want to encourage you this morning, would you join with me on this journey of pursuing the truth? Would you all stand with me?